Hello and you're very, very welcome to another episode of the Life Well Lived podcast with me, your host, Shane Breslin. If this is your first time coming here, you're really, really welcome. We live in a world of infinite choice in every direction of how we spend our time and I'm just very, very grateful that you've chosen to spend a little time here with me in your earbuds. I promise you I'll never take that for granted and I really hope you get a lot out of this episode and any other episodes you get to listen to of this show. Before I get into introducing the guest on this episode, let me first point you in the direction of previous episodes of the show. This is number 15 and the other 14 are available over my website at shanebreslin.com. You can find the podcast link there and all the other episodes are available for you there or in your podcast app. Whichever podcast app you use, you should be able to find the archive of previous episodes. Um, the name of this show is the Life Well Live podcast and the aim or the ethos of it is all about navigating the challenges of life, becoming our best selves in the world and ultimately living every day in a way that amounts to whatever is our own individual life well lived which is one of fulfillment and contribution and ultimately of happiness our own happiness and the happiness of those around us among my earlier interviews on the show are masami sato who's a japanese lady who started b1g1 which is a fantastic organization which aims to join the dots between small businesses really small businesses um, and smes all over the world and high impact projects on the ground which help those most in need um, another episode was with Frank Diamond, who is a fascinating individual. He's a former missionary priest from Derry in Ireland, and he tells his own unique story of empowerment and leadership and the three L's of love. I also spoke in one episode to B.B. Baskin, who rose to fame in Ireland and across the UK during the 1980s and 1990s as a familiar and almost ever-present face on the national TV screens. She eventually left all of that behind to live in India for 15 years and she shared so much wisdom about life and living in her chat with me and I do encourage you to go and check that out. Um, those interviews and lots more are, as I said, available on my website shanebreslin.com or in whatever podcast app you are listening to this show on. The guest on this week's episode of the show is Sarah Breslin. Now, the first thing to note is that Sarah and I, while we do share the same last name, are not related, not as far as I know anyway. Breslin is not a massively common name in Ireland, so there's a good chance if we go back a few generations, we might find some common lineage. But we first crossed each other's paths just a few months ago. Sarah's story will, I think, be engaging for many people on a lot of different levels. She worked for many years, effectively almost a full career, in the financial services industry but in the end she became disengaged really with her daily grind there and felt that she needed to do something that actually mattered at a tangible level in the lives of others um, having started building her skills and qualifications in health and well-being alongside her daily work she eventually started her own wellness company Sarah Breslin Wellness which is based in Maynooth in County Kildare in Ireland among other things, Sarah specializes in colonic hydrotherapy, which fascinates me greatly. I've spoken on several occasions on this episode, on this podcast and elsewhere about the links between gut health and mental health from the perspective of nutrition, what goes in. And you can check out episode eight of the podcast with Orla McLaughlin, who's a nutritional therapist for lots, lots more on that. Um, Sarah Breslin approaches gut health from the opposite ends of the spectrum, so to speak, uh, in terms of colonics. I'm fascinated by what is often called functional or holistic or even alternative treatment. And we do get into a discussion during this episode of alternative versus mainstream treatment or medicine. 
and the way that that conversation takes place and in many cases the pejorative way in which so-called alternative treatments are discussed as ever if you get something out of this or you hear something that you think someone else might benefit from hearing i would so love if you could just share this on whatever is your preferred social media or social network you can take a screenshot on your phone and post it to facebook instagram twitter or wherever you spend time online i'd be very very grateful for that your help does help me to get this podcast to more listeners i've just started a few months ago as i said episode 15 is the one you're listening to right now and i'm really really grateful for any share or like or link or anything you put out there on social media that might help to get this to some more people and some more listeners okay that's enough from me for now without further ado on to this week's episode of the show and my chat with sarah breslin from sarah breslin wellness sarah it's a pleasure to welcome you to the show thank you so much for taking the time i'm really interested in finding out what you're all about i know that we have been in touch a little bit online we do have the same surname but we are not related we just established before we start recording so yeah tell us a bit about your background where you came from well i'm from maynooth born and bred and i have lived away from maynooth probably more than i've lived in it now at this stage of my life and my background when it came to working was more about working in banking and when I emigrated to London that's where I started my jobs in working in Irish banks and moved back to Dublin eventually with that but I always knew that that wasn't my calling if you want to say you know I mean people ask me how did you get into it and I was like it was because it was good money and it was easy for me to do and there was jobs that was it you know never grew up dreaming of working in a bank so when I started to travel with the work in the bank then I realized that you know I couldn't do this forever and I started to get interested in holistic therapies because of my own issues mostly it was like you know skin issues and things like that and it just felt like there was more natural therapies that could help me rather than you know getting prescriptions and going to the doctors and stuff like that because none of that seemed to help me much anyway so then I thought okay I wanted to make a big change in career and I thought okay I want to do something that helps people I need to find something to help me so let's go down that route so my first course was I did aromatherapy um, because I really felt that the essential oils were so powerful and could do so much good. And at that stage, my mom had been diagnosed with MS, so I thought, you know, I could help her out as well. But uh, unfortunately, I never got to finish that course. I had to continue working in the bank and I was working abroad, so I just never quite got there. But then a couple of years later, I had the opportunity to do a bit of contracting at home and study at the same time. So that's when I got into massage and beauty therapy which was a complete departure because when I told everybody in the bank, they were like, you doing beauty therapy because it's not my thing. I don't do hair, nails, all that kind of stuff. I'm very low maintenance. So, But it was more the skincare and the facials I was interested in. So that was my first step into the whole holistic side of things. And it was great because I was able to work a little bit in the finance side on contracts and still study and then set myself up working from home. So that was the beginning of it, really. And a couple of things that jump out there. So how long did you work in financial services? Probably about 15 years. Hmm. It's a career, really. It's, it's quite like in terms of in the past, we might have had, you know, the 40 year career. I think 15 years is probably as long as it gets for a lot of people now in, in terms yeah, of different, different jobs yeah. and industries. How did you know it wasn't your calling or how did that manifest itself in your kind of day to day or week to week? Well, like at the end of the day, I never felt like I made a difference to anybody. Like it was soulless kind of work, in my opinion, you know, it like everything was pressure and had to be done at this time. And these reports had to be produced and this had to be balanced. And you were 
on central bank time and all this kind of thing, markets closing, markets opening. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it dawned on me one day that a lot of what was going on was just like betting. Like the lads going down to the bookies office, putting a bet on something that they thought was a great idea. And I kind of figured out that when you pare back all the jargon and everything like that, it, that's basically what was mostly going on. And the only people who seemed to get anything out of that was maybe, you know, anonymous shareholders or board of directors or something like that. You know, it wasn't actually making a difference to anybody tangibly, you know, and it didn't matter if I left the job, somebody else would come and do it. Or if I was off sick, somebody else would do it. It would get done. So, you know, it wasn't improving me in any way, particularly or anybody else. So I just thought, no, I can't keep going like this or I'll end up, I will be kind of have sold my soul to this because it just financial gain and that's it. Like, you know. I totally recognize that. And it's something that I've thought about a lot in terms of the workplace. As we're recording this in April 2019, the most recent podcast that went live was an interview with a psychologist who specializes in workplace psychology and organizational psychology. And we had a long discussion about you know the workplace and work and how it feels to me broken in so many levels that so many people, just exactly what you've said there in terms of the experience of being part of something that's really big, but not really doing stuff that matters at a deep level or a, at a human level, something that you feel connected to. Something that I've, just the way you've, you've articulated there and articulated it really well, is something that I've recognized myself from previous jobs and also from talking to so many people. Uh, so many people who are working crazy hours and commuting crazy hours and really lots of them have taken time to question it and kind of go, okay, well, is this really what I want is like, am I delivering anything of real value to myself or the world? And how did that, when you had that kind of realization and interesting, you mentioned about the, the analogy between betting and gambling. Um, I've followed horse racing, um, you know, pretty closely for a long time and I've distanced myself. I've removed myself from it a little bit over the last number of years. But I remember talking to a friend of mine who was working in an office and he was big into horse racing and really for the spectacle as much as for anything else. He was saying his mates were all into stock markets, didn't have anything to do with horse racing, but he was kind of listening to them talk about it. It was exactly the same conversation, just with different stuff at the end of it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So like that realization, did that manifest it? Because I think for a lot of people, when they have that realization and maybe if they allow that to go on or maybe fester for a while, they can get to re- get really down on themselves, maybe feel stuck that they're having a way out and can result in depression, anxiety and lots of other mental health issues. Did any of that kind of manifest itself for you or were you able to remove yourself fairly quickly once you felt that there was an emptiness there for you? Well, I think I was quite lucky because I was kind of, I think I was self-aware about those kind of things from a young age. And I think like I was, we we did sports from the time I was six years of age. So we ran, we did track and field or cross country. So, and then I played soccer and stuff like that. So I always had a sports outlet, which was as important to me as what I did during the day. You know, I remember when I worked in in the bank in London and I told them I was leaving. I wanted to go back to Ireland because I wanted more quality of life. And they were stunned. They were like, you've got a great career path here. You could really go places. And and I'm like, I don't care. I want to go home and I'd be able to run with my club and play soccer with my teammates and have, you know, more time to do those things. And they just really couldn't get that. So I think having that in my life always helped to create that kind of balance that you knew there was more fun and joy to be had in doing things other than working. 
And then like I did start to explore when I did realize that and I realized that, well, I kind of had to keep working and figure things out. So I actually came across different therapies that I would use myself. And I think when I was in my 20s, I started transcendental meditation, which I was pretty out there for back in the 90s. You know, like my sisters and brothers all thought I was completely woo woo, but it did help get me through that phase where I knew that then that I was okay, I was on the right path and it was okay to think like this and I could look at other ways of creating a life for myself, you know, and that I could maybe find a balance that I could still do this, but do it in a different way so that my own personal experience was better. So that's when I moved into contracting. So I was traveling a bit more. So I got to see different places, experience different people. And, you know, that created a bit more balance for me. But at the same time, I always knew I was looking for an exit strategy to move into some other field completely and not have to do the finance at all. So, and then of course I, you know, would spend a lot of time in the countryside being outdoors. That really brings a balance back to what's really about. Because when you're in those environments where it's all big numbers and that's just a norm for people, it just is a bit unrealistic. There's no grounding at all. It's just this world that's created by the people who are in it and to perpetuate what they do. So it was really important to have something outside of that, you know, and that's where the outdoor and sports and everything really played a big role for me. So Interesting. that The TM, Transmeditation, I want to go there quickly if we, hmm. if we can. It's something that I um, attended an intro evening about three years ago, and it was recommended to me by a couple of people who I respect, and we never did it, but I've heard people say great things, and I know that... I'm trying to remember, was it Neil Gaiman? Was somebody I heard quite recently, somebody, very successful person said quite recently, it was some podcast I was listening to that it was, they could put the finger on kind of TM, Transcendental Meditation, as something that was for the instrumental in them kind of finding that balance or clarity to help them to produce the, at the level that they, they were able to produce. Did you do it for a short period of time? What were your experiences of, of TM? And how does it differ for people that maybe don't have heard of meditation? How does, say, Transcendental Meditation differ from your everyday meditation well like in fairness i haven't really done it in a long time but i did use it for at least a year or more in that period so i was in my early 20s to me the only way it's different is that you have your specific personal mantra that's assigned to you and that's what you focus on during your meditation and i think yeah it helped to bring like a calmness that you know like i lived in a very busy house there was lots of people in the house all the time there was always noise so it was kind of a way to just realize that it's okay to stop and not be busy and interacting all the time and not to be responding completely emotionally you know hyper emotional all the time that it's not not everything is drama not everything is you know exuberant that you can be quiet and calm and it's within you yourself that you can achieve that you know so like yeah, it was very beneficial and it opened up that kind of ideas to me. But I think maybe it was too soon for me to do that, if you know what I mean. I think if I had more just kind of, say, beginner type meditation to work with, then I think it would have been more beneficial to me. We might get back to meditation and wider self-care in a little bit. But I wanted to, to go back to your financial services and the journey into holistic care and therapy. You mentioned that one of the things you said earlier on was about the, I think, some experience you had with doctors or everyday medication or everyday the medical pathway and that you saw something different. What, tell, can you tell us a little bit about that in terms of your experiences and, and what it was that led you into the kind of holistic side? Well, I always would have had difficulties with my skin 
So, you know, and it massively affected my confidence levels and stuff like that. And I was always like, it started when I was probably 11 and I was moving into my 20s and it wasn't getting any better. And I was thinking, okay, this is not puberty anymore. There's obviously something else going on. And at that point, you start to go to doctors to get help. And just before you go on, can you say what difficulties with your skin? Was it like acne or eczema? Yeah, it was mostly acne. Yeah. And like massive breakouts. And then, of course, the scarring that comes from that. And and like it wasn't just my face, it was on my chest and on my back and stuff, you know, so just like you never got away from it. And, you know, so in my 20s, I thought like, this is not puberty anymore. Is it never going to resolve itself? You know, and at that point, I had been trying different things with the doctor. So like I'd been put on the, the pill in order to help clear it up. And it worked to a certain extent, but not completely. And then you'd get your topical creams and stuff that would be antibacterials. Again, very temporary. They always end up back at the same thing. And like it was never approached to me about what you eat, what you drink, how what you're putting into your body as being an issue or looking at, you know, how was my overall general health? How was my body actually working? Was it working well? And, you know, that was never considered. And then I don't know how actually I came into the knowledge of essential oils, but I remember I just started to read books. I think actually when I was working in London, I came across an essential oils place in Covent Garden. It was um, Culpepper. So and he was, um, you know, medieval herbologist and apothecary kind of thing. And it was, they were basing their oils on his teachings. So that was probably where I discovered it. And I thought, oh my God, there might be something to this, you know. So I started reading up on it myself then at that stage. And then when I was on another secondment to another place I think it was in the Channel Islands or somewhere and I came across a beauty therapist who helped me with um, natural skincare that actually for the first time ever really made a difference and those two things I thought okay these things are working for me and it was also a time when I had some time out so I was actually looking after myself better I was eating better I was healthier I was drinking less alcohol and more healthy stuff and I was outdoors all the time and I was relaxed I didn't have any stress from work because I had this like six month period where I wasn't working and I didn't have to worry about money. I was okay financially. So there was zero stress. So all of those things started to improve my own overall health. And that made me realize, okay, it's more about what's going on inside me in my internal health and how I feed myself as much as what I'm putting on my skin to make it better. And then I started looking, okay, this is somewhere I want to go. I know now the, the area I want to head out of from financial into. So that's when I started to look up at the aromatherapy courses. So Excellent. And this coincide, I know you're in living in Spain for a while. Does this coincide with that? Or No, there's a long time before that. So I ended up, I moved into aromatherapy, loved the massage side of that, discovered that. And that's when I did another couple of years then of contracting. And after that, I moved in and I got, I went and did my full training as a beauty and massage therapist. And from there, I set myself up from working at home doing beauty and massage. But like massage was the thing I really loved. And at that stage, I was able to incorporate some of the essential oil knowledge. So I did that like till I had my daughter. And and then after that, we decided the crash was coming at that point. So we were thinking, okay, we had toyed with the idea of living in Spain. So then when things started to take a downturn and there wasn't much work for my husband at the time. So we said, look, let's go and move to Spain. And um, luckily enough, the only reason I'd ever done the beauty therapy was in case I ever needed a job, it would help me to get a job. And that's exactly what it turned out to be, because about a year after we moved to Spain, there was a health retreat that opened up an English couple. And 
because I had the beauty and massage, I got the job in the health treat, focusing only on beauty and massage uh, treatments. And it was brilliant. But one of the things they used to do there as part of the detox plan was colonics because the lady who ran the place, that's what she did. And very quickly got very, very busy within like two months. And they asked me to train to be a colonic therapist because they were so busy and she had trying to run the place as well as do. So I was very, very hesitant because I had no idea what it was about. Didn't get it. I thought it was like for red carpet people, you know, high maintenance stuff. Didn't have any idea of what it was really about. And as I was there in those couple of weeks, I learned that it was a lot about, you know, what was going on internally and how to cleanse your body. And I noticed that the guests who came and had colonics ended up with better results and looked and felt and sounded and came across better than the people who didn't have them. And like that stage, I had figured out that, you know, constipation was one of my issues and was probably a key factor in all the previous things that I had issues with. So I was going through a really bad week with it. And I said, OK, come on, this is it. Let's do this because you have to have one before you start your training. So because you have to know what it's like. And when after I had my first one, it was like, oh, my God, this is like a light bulb just went on. It's like this is exactly what I have needed all my life. And this is where I can figure out answers for myself. And I just want to be able to do this and to bring it to as many people as possible. So it, like, it literally did change so many things for me, even after the first one. But because wow. I, I was in that place where I was ready for it, you know. So let's go through that a little bit, if we can. And I'll try to be as open as possible. <laughs> because it's not every day you have these conversations like these. Yeah, you've never yeah. Before. But yeah, so in terms of the constipation, as you say, um, having an impact on your overall health, what kind of impact does that have? And is there a possibility that very, very many of us experiencing these difficulties or issues that are stemming from our colon and that we don't even know about it. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, I, I always say now, I never realized how constipated I was until I wasn't. You know, I, it was something I was just living with. It was never spoken about. It was never like checked in. Nobody ever checked in and said, you know, how is it going? You know, if a doctor asked me, I had no idea what he was talking about, you know. And like looking back on it, you know, it, like in hindsight, when I could see, I had come out of the fog, basically. So I knew then, oh my God, that's why I felt like that. So it would show up for me, um, in mood, my mood was very poor, like all through my teens in my 20s. Like most people, people think you're OK and you, they see you getting on with things. But like internally, you're struggling. You're like I always was down on myself. I always had issues with how I perceived like I wasn't good enough for this. I wasn't good enough for that. I wasn't I couldn't cope. Like and then, of course, the skin issues made it even more knocked my confidence and that would lead me to go, maybe I'd go out and drink too often and then, you know, do stupid things. And then I dislike myself even more. But all along, it's like when I looked back on it, I had been constipated probably since I was a child. And so I was pretty toxic by the time I had my colonic. So, you know, which was like 30 years later or something. And when I realized, like even in Spain, I had been living extremely healthily, like Mediterranean diet. I walked everywhere. I cycled everywhere. I had lost four stone in weight. I was drinking loads of water. I was in the sea. I was in the sunshine, like all the optimum things for good health. And still I had skin issues, you know, so it's like something else was still a factor. And only that only resolved itself after I got the colonics. And then it's like, you're not down on yourself. You know, you bounce back from things easier because your state of mind is not 
exhausted because your body is not exhausted from trying to clean itself continuously in an under-functioning system. You know, it's like your body is always doing its absolute best to keep you alive. That's its job. And when one of its major functions is not working, it takes up an awful lot of energy to find other workarounds to make you stay alive and functioning and living your life. So then like you don't have headspace for getting through issues, resolving things, seeing things for what they really are. Everything seems like a huge mountain to climb. So once I sorted out my gut, it seemed like there was a lot more possibilities. You know, I could cope with things more. I could have more ideas. I could see myself developing myself more. Um, it was easy to stay on track. I didn't want stimulants. Like I stopped drinking alcohol nearly altogether. You know, I didn't feel like I needed to eat loads of sugars and sweet things. You know, I was quite happy with my body as it was. Um, I was able to enjoy and appreciate who I was and what I was. You know, there was just like a whole fog lifted and made me realize that I was enough, you know, because the connections, the signals and the communication between the body and the brain were working again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally get it. And when you say that you had struggled with constipation for 30 years or so, obviously you were having bowel movements during that time, but your gut or your colon, your, not, your bowel is just not cleansing itself. Is that it? Well, I'd say it was like I would have movements, but they would be very irregular. And I've never tuned into how regular they should have been, that I should have been every day. And I mean, I, there would have been times I couldn't remember how long it would have been before the last, since the last one. And then, like I said, a long time, um, the thing that was saving me was the fact that I was into sports and fit. And that movement was the only thing keeping me going. It's not, wasn't like the bowel worked of its own accord, regardless of what I ate, it did its own thing. It only was working because I was so physically active. And then when there was periods like where I wasn't physically active, like when I was at work a lot, working 20 hour days, you know, traveling, flying, then it was just not, didn't know what to do, couldn't cope at all. And then after I had my daughter again, it would just, you know, I had lots of, you know, struggles after that. And it went to pieces again because there wasn't, my little fix of the movement just wasn't there. So it really showed up that it, it wasn't working by itself at all. Um, it was just little things I was doing were kind of just maintaining it, but it was never functioning fully, I don't think, you know. Interesting. And so... The difference that it made when you had that treatment. So this is something like about seven or eight years ago, is that right? Yeah, so 2012 would have been, yeah, yeah. And what was the, you've spoken about kind of how good it felt afterwards, but was it immediate? Um, what was the difference that it made for you? It felt like my body went, ah, and just took a deep breath and relaxed. That's what I always feel it was like. And it took away a certain amount of, tension that I didn't even realize was there, you know, that I was always carrying around this little bit of anxiousness all the time because my body and my gut were anxious because it was toxic. So, you know, it was uh, creating that imbalance. And I didn't realize that I had that. And um, I suppose you could call it cranky, but like a certain amount of anger as well. You know, I mean, I was always very uh, cross, you know, lots of jobs when I used to go back to people or if I'd meet people afterwards, I'd say, God, you were all so cross when you'd come in. We, we were afraid of you. And I think that was an element that was there that I didn't even know was there. But it was just a kind of an expression of what was going on in my gut. That my gut was not working. It was making my body irritated and angry. So I came across as like irritated and annoyed with people and everything around me. So like, and even like, like with my own family and with my daughter, I realized afterwards like my attitude was much more calm 
you know, things didn't bother me. I didn't get worked over with the smallest little thing. You know, I wasn't questioning um, why everything wasn't the way I wanted it. And, you know, I wasn't controlling as much. I just was much more relaxed and easygoing. And that was a huge thing. You know, I really felt that that changed my character in a way that I wasn't so, you know, just annoyed and cross all the time. You know, I was in better form and easier to live with. So it was huge. Yeah, it's, it sounds it. Um, I've heard, I think it's only about two years ago when I first, and it wasn't from a medical doctor, I, that I discovered the relationship between gut health and mental health. And this that's pretty well established. And a lot of dietitians and nutritionists work very closely on managing the gut in terms of the positive impacts that can have on, on our mental health and calm and equilibrium. And often when you hear or talk to dietitians and nutritionists, it's about kind of what you're putting into your body and kind of treating your gut that way um, in terms of what you're putting into your body. Colonics is right, is, is kind of coming at it from 180 degrees the other direction. Is that right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me how it works. Well, basically, it's like an internal bath for your gut. So the water is fed directly into your body instead of just externally dealing with matters. And because like, it's basically just one long tube from your mouth to the end. And it's by going in uh, the opposite direction, let's say, it's like everything that's at the end of the queue normally is now at the front of the queue. So it's receiving the hydration first. So if there's issues in there and there's dehydration, it's going to get that uh, water intake itself. It doesn't have to get wait until all the organs have received everything they need and all the blood supply and everything else. It, it gets it straight away. And, it, you know, a lot of the issues come from people being dehydrated. And part of the functions of your bowel is to absorb moisture. But if it absorbs too much moisture, then that stuff, the matter is just left in there. It's too dry. It's not going to move. So our job is to help hydrate that area so that the whatever's in there has enough, gains enough weight and it can come out of the body. And it helps then also, because you're feeding it directly into the bowel, it tones the muscles. So like with any muscle, if it's not being used, it doesn't build any tone, any strength. It doesn't maintain it. It just gets lazy and tired and, you know, it doesn't work properly. So by doing a clonic, that helps to create that tone because you're working that muscle. Because the way I do it is you're trying to get the body to join in. Rather, You're not creating an unnatural sensation. It's the body is going to do the work. So we're trying to wake up those muscles and get them to do what they should know how to do, but maybe have forgotten because they don't get used that often. So the brain stops sending the messages um, because people ignore it. And, you know, then that connection gets broken. So it's to recreate that connection between the gut and the head brain to say, oh, yes, we are connected. We do need each other. So, okay, when it's time to go, the brain sends me the signals and then the muscles have to respond to that signal. So that gets reestablished when you're having a colonic because it's all happening and that's all you're thinking about. You know, you're focused on what's happening on the bed right now. So in a way, it's a little bit like a mindfulness thing because you're only focused on what's going on with you right there in the moment. And that in itself is like brings people back into their bodies. And they realize then, oh, my God, I was feeling awful and I didn't realize this. Or, oh, my God, I feel so much better now, even after five minutes of this, you know. So in a way, that's one of the things I like most about therapies is how they bring people back into their bodies and tune into how they're actually feeling right then and there. And that makes them figure out what things they can do going forward then, you know. It sounds amazing. 
in terms of the practicalities of it's a tube that's fed in like you can assume that i know nothing about this because i don't (laughs) yeah it's a special speculum that is designed to fit in and it's all measured and everything like that and it's all smooth and it's lubricated so that there's no discomfort so it goes up your bum yeah okay yeah and then there's tubes that are attached onto the speculum that feed the water in and take the wastes out and the waste just goes straight down the drain, the same as it would if you were in the loo. So like, I'm not, I don't have to deal with any of that. I just see it going past and that's the end of it. So, and like, I think people think it's weird that, you know, I have to see it going past, but that gives me information about what's going on. So I can tell from certain things from it that can give the client feedback and help them make changes and understand why they're feeling the way they do, you know. So it's important for me to see that. But it goes past, that's it, it's gone. End of story for me. Um, so I'm not exposed to any of it. And the thing about it is, like, the reason it's really valuable is, like, if you think about it in terms of, um, like, you have a garden and you're putting in, you go to Woody's and you get all your lovely bedding plants and they look gorgeous and everything and they're healthy and everything and you bring them back and the garden is full of weeds and you put all the bedding plants in, but it's still full of weeds. So it's a little bit like what you're saying with the nutrition side of things. You can put all the good stuff in, but if the garden is still full of weeds, the weeds are still going to take over. You know, some of the bed plants might thrive, but a lot of them won't because they're just in too much competition. So the idea with the clinic is that we're taking out the stuff that doesn't need to be there, the weeds and the things that have taken over. And we're giving all the good stuff that you're putting in a chance to fertilize the area grow a healthy um, balance and mixture and then that makes your gut a healthier and better place for mm. whatever you're putting in to thrive and for you to thrive mm. so mm. you can't that you need to both of them for it to work really well in okay. my opinion typically who is it for is there a kind of a common ground in the type of people who come to you well i'd say initially it's a lot of women Uh, But more recently, I've had a lot more men coming because I think they're tuning into the whole idea of it as well. Um, And like basically a lot of people come because they have bloating and constipation. And that seems to be the main issues that people have. Uh, But it's only afterwards they realize lots of other things that they've had as a result of that. Um, And it's probably like mainly people in their 30s, 40s upwards. But there are more young people coming in as well, like in their 20s who are, and more for them, it's not about resolving issues. It's about maintaining their good health, that they're in tune with, you know, good health. They know about their physical health, their mental health, and they want to keep going with that and make it as, as good as it can be. So that's really nice to see. I like That's very encouraging, I think. But yeah, a lot of it would be people in the, you know, 30 to 50 bracket who are suddenly realizing oh God, something's gone. I, I've been to this doctor, that doctor, nothing has changed and I need to make something else happen. And so they give the clinics a try. And it, there's like very few restrictions on it. Like there's some medical conditions where you can't have it, but I just think everybody should try it at least once just, just to understand that connection with their gut and their movements and how that can change how they feel on every level. Yes. Um, what are the, the medical conditions that are not recommended or are there any other risks associated with the treatment? There's no risks in particular. Like we're one of the safest therapies according to the insurance industry. So as long as you're going to a qualified, well-trained person who knows what they're talking about, there's very little risks. I mean, colonics have developed from enemas and enemas have been used for like thousands and thousands of years. So it's like well-proven technology and technique. Um, 
So I would say the risks are extremely low as long as you don't overuse. Same with anything. You know, if you do too much of anything, it's not going to be good for you. It's about keeping a balance. And if you go to a good therapist, they will make sure that you only have it and have the treatment as as much as you need it, that it's not like overused and oversubscribed. But in terms of medical conditions, it would be things like um, where you don't have you have to have a certain amount of renal function. So if you've got any kidney damage, because obviously we're using a lot of water, so your kidneys have to be able to function. If you've got ulcerative colitis and it's in a flare-up stage, anything that's an inflammation like diverticulitis, you know, you can have the condition, but it's not flared up and it might be okay. So if you've got inflammation of any kind, um, then that's a risk. And then we just have to monitor people's blood pressure as well when they come in. And pregnancy, obviously, you can't have it when you're pregnant. Mm. So, you know, as long as you do the consultation is done and you are forthcoming with all your information, then most people are okay, you know, and mostly if there are medical conditions, you know that you can't do that anyway. So, What has the reception been or any correspondence or communications you've had with the kind of, um, with the mainstream medical community? Um, I'm assuming that the colonics are one of the very 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 many things and therapies that would be described as alternative therapies or holistic or functional therapies what kind of experiences have you had with the with mainstream medicine very little interaction is the only way i can describe it even when i've had clients who have had really turned their health around and are seeing a consultant for a particular issue even and they're delighted with their results and saying, tell them, keep doing what you're doing. It's working for you. Your results are amazing. They still won't engage with the, you know, recommending it for anybody else or, you know, coming to talk to me and sit down and find out what it is, or even to just put it on, note it on their file. They won't even put the words down that they've had colonics. They'll say bowel training or something instead, you know. So it's, it's yeah. And that's a bit sad because it's, very simple and it was used by doctors for many many years before pharmaceuticals were used and in a lot of other countries it's normal practice for doctors to send people for colonics to help them with their issues Um, but just not in this country and you know it's probably just a lack of I don't know I don't know whether it's it's that they just they don't know about it or they're just not interested in engaging with it I don't really know Mm. The next question I was going to ask you was why you think that is, but um, if you don't know, I'm not sure if I'll ask you to speculate, but it, it, it's really disappointing. And it's kind of, it's something that I've seen across the board. Like, as I mentioned, the one big breakthrough I had when, when I was kind of grappling with, like, how do I deal with depression in a better way? How do I give myself a better chance of actually coming through it and experiencing life, experiencing good bliss and happiness and contentment in a way that that I hadn't and hadn't been able to for years and maybe like probably come back to my teens. Um, but like when I spent time in doctors' waiting rooms and talking to doctors, it was never it, like there was, it was so quickly down the medication route without any questions about lifestyle, nutrition, like any habits that like, you know, just, just no understanding or no, it struck me not even an interest in or questions about general lifestyle. And it's just, saddens me that there's so many people that go to doctors and because they get a pill 
they feel that there's something wrong with them that only a pill can solve. And maybe after two years on that, they realize maybe that pill didn't solve it. So we'll try a different pill. And it does sadden me hugely that there's so many, I even hate to use, to use the word alternative, like, but because it's kind of, it's seen, uh, like it's the alternative is, is seen as an, as a negative, like, you know, an alternative medicine is seen by many people as, as a non-traditional and therefore not to be trusted and negative. And but there's so many ways and different ways of doing stuff that uh, it does sadden me and frustrate me and even anger me that that there's so many people who don't even know that this exists. Yeah, and it's very frustrating because it's so simple and it's like ninety percent of the time it's just filtered water. So you know it's not like it's you know some concoction that's going to do you know it's water. Your body uses water. You're ninety or eighty percent water. It's not like you know. Um, you're introducing toxic substances or anything of risk, you know. And like I say, it's been used for thousands of years. And like in most Eastern European countries, like it's part and parcel. Every year people go at least twice a year for their their cleanse programs. And like just, I don't know what it is. And it's like they don't want to, we're quite happy to engage. We would love to engage with medical practitioners and get on board and just work with them. But it seems to be very much that, that there's no interest from the other side. And I don't know if it's maybe there are doctors who are interested, but there's a fear element that they'll be they'll get in trouble or something or that their their standards board or whoever their governing bodies are will just clamp down on them. So they can't operate outside the parameters that they've been given. Um but like, you know, it works in a lot of other countries. So I just don't understand. I mean, in Canada and South Africa, it would definitely be, you know, prescribed by doctors to go see a therapist. And and, a lot, and some in the UK, some of my colleagues do get to work with the doctors, but it's not, it's the, it's unusual. It's not the norm, you know, mm. and it like, it's kind of a bit weird to me because there is um, a device that has been developed and is, you know, approved by medical doctors uh, for people who have difficulty, say if you've got motor neuron or you've got um, physical disabilities and you have issues with your bowel movements. And it's a, basically a device that does the same thing, and it's but it can only be medically prescribed. So that tells me that they do believe it works and they know it works because they will prescribe this device to help people in that situation. So I can't see how they can't make the next step to open it up to people who are well and to keep people well rather than waiting until they're already in a critical situation, you know? Yes. No, I totally understand that. Just thinking about it as you're speaking, I, I think that, I don't think doctors are malicious. Like, you know, I just, I think they have the care of the person at heart. I think they're just, in a lot of cases, just very, very overworked and stretched. And it might be easier to try a prescription that will take, that can be written and collected from a pharmacist <laughs> in 10 minutes as opposed to trying something else that might take, that might require some buy-in on behalf of the patient as well. I don't think there's any malice there, but yeah, I think trust maybe is something that, um, the fear of the unknown, a lack of trust of the unknown. Yeah. I think that just takes time for those barriers to come down. And I think as well, there is a bit like on us as, you know, patients or, you know, people attending doctors, there's a bit of responsibility on that side as well. Totally. And that we need to, we need to take responsibility and not be continually expecting somebody else to fix the issue that we need to just go there. You give me the pill, you make me better that we need to say, I need to look at why I'm feeling like this and what can I do? And it's my responsibility, you know, and if somebody tells me going for a walk five times a week for half an hour is going to make such a difference to you, but I don't bother doing that. 
even if a doctor will tell you that and you don't bother doing it, well, then you kind of have to take responsibility. And And if you're just waiting for the pill to do it, well, then you kind of have to own that too. I totally agree. And I think it's, it is something that, um, like, you know, I, I don't want this to be construed or interpreted as a, an attack on medicine or the medical community because, because without a doubt, like, you know, I know so many people and some people close to me that in the past would not have felt value for money if they went to the doctor and spent 50 euro or whatever it was and not got a tablet to take. Um, yeah. They go there in a lot of cases and they expect to get that because that's part of the package effectively. And and I think that, yes, personal responsibility, I'm big on that. And I think if the more personal responsibility we take, the less we, the more empowered we become and the less we accept something that isn't right for us or yeah. that, that, that there might be alternative mechanism or something to try. Is, so with Cerebrezin, is colonics the full package now? Is it part of what you offer? Tell us a little bit about that on a day-to-day basis. Um, so colonics is probably the busiest part of my practice at the moment, but I also uh, offer massage. And what I'm working with mostly at, on the massage side at the moment is uh, cupping massage. So the cupping is basically, it's used as an addition to the massage. So I'm not treating people with Chinese cupping therapy where it's, you know, stationary and they're working deep into the organs and the meridians. I just use them as a tool to help me uh, soften up the soft tissue and to make it more malleable and supple and so it moves better and when I do manual massage then it's less pain involved so it's a great way to get deep work uh, without that discomfort level of you know having to go in deep with you know thumbs or elbows or any of that when you're already uncomfortable because I don't really like doing pain I don't like hurting people (laughs) I like to get the body to join in and I I kind of feel that if you're um, you know working on pushing up against something it's going to push back and you know then you're creating tension and contraction even more so that's why I love the cups I love to do that to you know get people to feel relaxed the body is like welcoming the the treatment and saying yeah I'm on board with this and then I'll respond and relax us and then we get much better um improvements quicker so that's why I love the cups again for a total novice what is cupping so cupping is so it's basically a vacuum cup so it's a suction that we have in a cup that lifts the tissue so that it goes onto the body and it just lifts and separates everything. And in that space, then you get increased blood flow because it's drawn to fill the space. You know, it's just natural physics. And in that sense, then the body, the, the tissue area that might be damaged has better chance of recovery because you're flushing out anything that might be there and the acids that have come from uh, damage or trauma and you're getting fully oxygenated, clean blood in there. So that's what it looks like there. You can see that. Mm. So it's basically just you, you take out the, the vacuum and then you let it go and it lifts up the, the soft tissue. Um, and there's all different types of cups and everything. Um, and that can and be applied all over the body. Anywhere, yeah. I have little teeny tiny ones that you can do under your eyes, um, have them on your back, your glutes, your toes, your feet, everything. So, yeah, it can be used for any any area. Interesting. Um, and it can be adapted in the depth of the pressure. So you can use it really, really lightly to just work on the lymphatic uh, system or you can go deeper to work on really, you know, tense, restricted muscles. Interesting. Very good. Very good. Before we let you go, and I'm very, very appreciative of your your time. And I also love how a common theme when I see people doing great things is that they often have their first protocol was treating themselves. And I think that being able to treat yourself and to learn the discoveries you've made from that 
and to then take that to other people is just is so commendable and I and I'm, congratulate you for it because it's it's amazing. Before I uh, wrap up, um, a couple of just quick questions to throw at you and you, you can feel free to answer them or not. But is routine, do you have a routine or and is routine important to you? No, I'm more of a, a like a free flow kind of things. I have routine for my work, obviously, but I just like to go on the fly a bit myself. <laughs> I do a lot of things in my head, but I, I'm not a planner, scheduler kind of person, but I have people around me who help me with that. So That's good. And how do you kind of square the intuitive, uh, the, the intuitive way of working with the necessity of having a routine or a schedule for work? Well, I just, because I don't, I think I, you know, I always say, okay, whatever way the day is going to go, it's going to go. It's going to be the best way for me. So, you know, if things like don't pan out, people don't make it or they have to cancel or reschedule, I'm like, okay, that's okay. It means I get to do something else. So it, the schedule is there to be tweaked, to help me go with the flow rather than to be stuck too rigidly. That's the way I like to work with it. Interesting. What do you wish or is there anything you wish you'd known when you were 21? That I already was enough and that I always would be, and I always am, that I didn't need to be constantly looking outside myself to improve things, that I, I had it inside me all the time. I love that. I love that. How do you learn, or is learning important to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, learning is part of the fun, isn't it? It's part of the experience. It's how you engage with new things. So I, I'm constantly looking you know, what else can I take? Where's that information? Where is that going to go and go on that journey? But um, yeah, so I think I'm a doing kind of person when I'm learning a new skill. But, I, you know, I love just reading things, listening to podcasts, you know, just getting information. And like, that's one of the best things about my job is a lot of it is sitting and having conversations with people. And you just learn so much from from people in that way. And I love that part. That's good. That's great. I think that might be a very, very good place to finish. Sarah, it's, it's been great talking to you. I'm very thankful for your time. And uh, I think a lot of people will get a lot out of this. I think that when we kind of open ourselves to new ideas and try stuff, I think even if it doesn't 100% success the first time, I think it just opens doors and opens new avenues for us yeah. to, to experience and, new things. And that's exactly what my colleagues say, that our job is to open the doors and windows and then you choose which one you want to step into. So that's what it's about. Sarah, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Shane. Hey, Shane here again. Thank you so, so much for listening to the end of the show. I'm humbled, as I mentioned at the start, in this world of infinite choice that people are spending the time, choosing to spend the time listening to this show. And I'm just so grateful for all of that attention. And I promise never to take it for granted. Um, If there was anything in this show, this interview with Sarah Breslin that resonated, that you feel might benefit somebody else, I would be so grateful if you could share it out on whatever social media that you are active on, just by posting a link to the podcast show uh, page on the website or even by taking a screenshot of the podcast in your podcast app and posting it wherever you are active. And that's all for me. Again, thanks so, so much for listening to the show. If you have any feedback, I'm thrilled to hear it. You'll find my contact details on my website or you'll find me on Twitter at Shane Breslin. That's all for this week's episode. I will be back here very, very soon with more episodes of the Life Well Lived podcast. Thank you so, so much.